Welcome to City Church. City Church is a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. Wanted to welcome you here to worship, and the sermon that I'm going to be preaching today is part of a sermon series that's entitled Home. And there's a very specific purpose for this sermon series, and it's this. During the instability and concern of this COVID-19 crisis, you will find through a biblical approach to home, your soul is nurtured, your faith is strengthened so that you can live life well. We believe that with following Jesus, that this season does not need to overwhelm us, but this can be a season where we're actually living life well. Now, here's what I have found during the COVID-19 crisis. I have been at home more than I think I've ever been at home before. And in the midst of that, I've also noticed a few other things. The first of which is I noticed that this spring was probably the most, has been the most beautiful spring that I can ever remember. I remember kind of driving as I was kind of going from point A to point B, and I was noticing the red buds, the, the fruit trees that were blossoming. I was noticing all of those things, and I ended up communicating with a friend of mine, and I said to her, hey, listen, have you noticed how amazing this spring is, how absolutely beautiful it is? And here's what she said to me. She said, Pete, I agree that it's beautiful, but she said, I don't think it's any more beautiful than any other spring we've ever experienced in Virginia. But what I do think is, because of this crisis and the fact that we are functioning at a different pace, we actually are seeing things more fully and more clearly than we have ever seen before. And when she said that, it struck me. It struck me how true her statement really was. That prior to the COVID-19 crisis and in other spring seasons of other years, moving so quickly, hadn't really noticed these things, but this year, I did. It allowed me to see spring with a new perspective because I had to slow down my pace. And if you know anything about me and if you've been part of the City Church family, you know that I love nature. Nature's something that I love. And kind of speaking of slowing down, being at home more, and seeing nature, I had an experience this week that I wanted to share with you. The experience was this. I was walking through the yard, and as I was, my son was up on our deck. We actually have a concrete deck that is a slab of concrete that really functions as the roof of our garage. We have a one-car garage. My son was up there reading and studying, and he said, hey, Dad, look at this. And he held up a cushion, a green cushion that we have on our patio furniture, and there was a tree frog stuck to the bottom of it. And again, I love nature, so I said, hey, Peter, give me that. And I took the tree frog with the pillow, and I went over to one of the neighbor's trees, and I put the tree frog on the tree and kind of moved it over to the tree, handed Peter the pillow, and then I thought, you know what, I want to take a picture of that tree frog. So I grabbed out my cell phone that I had in my pocket, and when I went over to the tree... When I started looking for the frog, I couldn't find him. And it was at that moment that I named him Fred. I want to find Fred the frog. 
And so here I was, I had my iPhone, and I began to look for him down the tree, and all of a sudden I saw him. And what stunned me, he was right there the whole time. And so here's a picture that I took of Fred the Frog. Now, while I was looking at Fred the Frog, my older daughter came out of the house, and she was kind of walking through the yard. She said, Dad, what in the world are you doing? Because I was in the neighbor's yard, and I was kind of staring at this tree. I said, Allie, come here real quick. I want you to check out this tree frog that I found. Well, she knows how excited I get about nature, and I think really to appease me, she came over into the neighbor's yard, and when she walked up to the tree, she looked and she said, where is it? And I said, sweetheart, it's right there. And I said, really what would be helpful is if you move a little bit to the sideways and you change your perspective and you change your position a little bit, you'll be able to see the frog more clearly. And so she kind of stepped off to the side, looked at an angle, and the picture you're looking at now is the picture that I took of that frog from an angle. You see, what Allie had to do was she kind of had to change her position And that helped her to change her perspective, and she was able to see the frog more clearly. Now, speaking of perspective, and my new best friend, Fred the Frog, what I began to think about was, I saw Fred from straight on when I changed my perspective. It was a unique perspective. And then I thought to myself, I wonder what Fred's perspective is of me. So the next picture you're looking at is Fred's perspective of me. Notice the picture, how horrifying that is. That's Fred's perspective. Now, what I've been talking about so far is the idea of the COVID-19 crisis has kind of made me slow down, a changed pace, has helped me see things more clearly. With my daughter, Allie, she kind of changed her position around the tree and was able to see something more clearly. She kind of gained a different perspective. And then I showed you Fred the Frog's perspective of me. Here's what I've found throughout the COVID-19 crisis as a local church pastor. Here's what I've found. I have found that during this season, for many people, there has been a change in perspective And one of those changes has been spiritual. I've had people reach out to me, and I've been a part of conversations where people have begun to ask some very specific spiritual questions that the COVID-19 crisis has caused them to ask. And here's the primary one. The primary one has been this, that because every day, We get the death count or the death toll of the COVID-19 crisis. We hear about it not just here in the U.S., but in foreign countries and in the third world, and we're gathering together those numbers. There's been something about this crisis that has helped us to spiritually face our own mortality. And in facing our own mortality, it creates the desire for a new perspective, And I believe when we face our mortality, that perspective is uniquely a spiritual one. And because of that, people have begun to ask two questions. And here they are. What does the Bible say happens when you die? And what does it say about heaven? Again, here's this two-part question. What does the Bible say happens when you die? And what does it say about heaven? And so what I want to do this Sunday, as well as next Sunday, 
I am going to speak on heaven. What does the Bible say about it? But also, what does the Bible say about when we die? What does that transition look like? Now, I'm keenly aware of two things. First of all, there is too much information for one sermon. The second thing I'm aware of is this. I do not want this sermon to come across as a lecture, but I do believe we need to clearly understand what the Bible says about what happens as we die or when we die, and what does the Bible say about heaven. Well, here's where we're going to begin at the very baseline in talking about heaven. Here's where we're going to begin. If you were to read the Bible from cover to cover, here's what you would discover. That in the Bible, as Jesus arrives on the scene, talk about heaven, and the understanding of heaven goes to an entirely new level. When Jesus enters into the biblical story, all of a sudden, talk about heaven, and a greater understanding of heaven comes into, again, a brand new level. So in looking at that, we can't talk about heaven unless we talk about Jesus, because in the biblical record, he ushers in a new conversation that has a greater understanding about what heaven is. So here's where I want to begin. I want to begin at the announcement of Jesus' public ministry. What you would find in the Gospels, specifically the book of Matthew, that when Jesus goes from being sort of in private to where the last three plus years of his life he steps into his public ministry, John the Baptist announces Jesus. And in the Gospel of Matthew, here's what John the Baptist says. And I want you to catch this. Matthew chapter 3, verse 2. Here's what the scripture says that John the Baptist says when introducing Jesus. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, interestingly enough, John the Baptist announces Jesus that way. And then in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, Jesus quotes John the Baptist as Jesus begins his earthly ministry. And here's what it says in Matthew 4, 17. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And what we discover in the life and ministry of Jesus, that heaven now is something that has moved towards earth because Jesus has come into the world. Now in looking at these two texts though, there's something that's interesting about them. John the Baptist said, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus quotes John the Baptist as Jesus begins preaching. He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And so I think it's important as we talk about heaven and this heaven that Jesus is now announcing, the kingdom of heaven, we need to understand the word repent. I believe that this is extremely important that we would understand this word. And so here's what the word means. In the original language, the word repent in Greek is metanoia. And metanoia, the word repent, means to change your mind. For our purposes, in thinking about spiritually moving towards heaven and answering those two questions, here's what repent would mean for us. A change of perspective 
Just like my daughter had with Fred the Frog and I had with Spring, there needs to be a change of perspective and a paradigm shift spiritually. Because heaven was not unknown in the Older Testament, but when Jesus steps into this world, John the Baptist announces, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near, and Jesus quotes him, what's being said is this, is you must be willing to change your mind about what Jesus is going to begin to teach and do, which for our purposes means a change of perspective and a paradigm shift spiritually. Now here's what we can say, is that in Jesus, the kingdom of heaven has come to us. That the kingdom of heaven has come near. That's one of the primary messages of the four gospels in the Newer Testament. Now, not only do we see John the Baptist speaking of Jesus in conjunction with the kingdom of heaven, not only do we see Jesus attributing that to himself, but we also see Jesus teaching this very intentionally, especially when it comes to prayer. Now, what we have to understand is, is that Jesus is ministering to Jewish people primarily, and in the Jewish world, prayer is the epicenter of the relationship with God. And in Jesus' early earthly ministry, he would have prayed three times a day, if not more, the Jewish prayer that's called the Shema. And the Shema was the Jewish prayer that begins with this saying, Hear, O Israel. Shema means to hear. So Jesus is a person that would have prayed the Shema, but in the midst of prayer with his disciples, as well as teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus begins to teach on prayer, which again is the center reality of a Jewish relationship with God. Jesus brings to us in Matthew chapter, nine, verse, or chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, what we know is the Lord's Prayer. And I want us to catch this, that in the Lord's Prayer, the Scripture tells us, Jesus says... This, then, is how you should pray. In other words, the Lord's Prayer is a prayer we are called to pray. Jesus says, this, then, is how you should pray. And I want you to say it out loud with me wherever you're at. What is it? It's the Lord's Prayer. Say it with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come your will be done where? On earth as it is where? In heaven. And what we discover when Jesus teaches on prayer, he teaches us that we are to pray every single time we pray that heaven would please, dear God, come to earth. And so let's kind of look at where we've come so far. Jesus enters the world and with him comes the announcement of the kingdom of heaven. He says that's about him. Then when he teaches on prayer, which is at the center of a Jewish relationship with God, he says we are to pray that heaven and the kingdom of heaven would come to earth. And if that's true, and Jesus has ushered in the kingdom of heaven, and we are to pray that the kingdom of heaven comes to earth, then this next thought is emphatically true. When it comes to heaven, you don't wait until you die to get it. 
if Jesus ushered heaven here and the prayer we're called to pray, ask God to bring heaven to earth, then you don't wait until you die to get it. I think too often, and it's an erroneous belief, it's the belief that heaven is up there and earth is down here and the two never ever meet until we die from here and then go there. That is categorically opposed to the gospel of Jesus and why he came into this world. Jesus was king and he was ushering in the kingdom of heaven. Now, we do have to answer this question. What happens when you die? What happens? What does the Bible say? Well, when we look at that, I would like to kind of dial back in my own pastoral history here at City Church. Probably within the first two to three years of pastoring, it was the first time I'd ever been a lead pastor, I found myself at the bedside of an elderly woman who had become my friend. In our friendship, I, it was very neat. She owned a farm over in Ivy, and she invited me to come over there and to kind of do outdoor things on her farm so that I could get away, kind of have a place to pray. And I went to her farm, and again, she was, much, she was quite old, and she moved through the stages of passing away. I clearly remember being at her bedside, and she asked me the question, Pete, what's going to happen when I die? Now, she was a follower of Jesus. She knew the scriptures pretty much as well as I did. But what she was asking for was that I would bring to her again the biblical truths of what would happen as she died as well as what is heaven like. And so what I did was I began to read to her from passages in the Bible that speak of heaven. As a matter of fact, I read from her, for her from Revelation chapter 21 and Revelation chapter 22. And if you've never read those, I encourage you to do that, especially for next week's sermon, because I'll be looking at those in depth. But in Revelation chapter 21 and 22, the end of the Bible tells us about what heaven will be like. It paints an incredible picture, a place that's full of life, where there's fruit being born in all seasons. In other words, I love that. It'll be springtime every single month of the year in heaven. Not only that, there's precious stones, there's beautiful angelic beings, there's all of these things that the Bible speaks of. And I remember so clearly talking to her about those things and reading Revelation chapter 21 and 22 to her. But in the midst of our conversation, she asked me the question, she said, Pete, I know what heaven's going to be like, at least I think I do. But she said, what's going to happen is I take my last breath. And as a young pastor, I remember clearly praying and saying to her, you know, here's what I think is going to happen. You will take your last breath and you will step from this life into the next one. And when you get there, it's going to be stunningly familiar. And here's why. Because Jesus came into this world to usher in the kingdom of God. And so if you've ever been in Jesus' presence, and I was saying this to her, if you've ever been in his presence through prayer, 
If you've ever been in his presence through fellowship, if you've ever been in his presence while you were in worship at a church, if you've ever been in his presence while studying the scriptures and you felt the presence of Jesus, then you already have been in heaven's presence. And so when you step from this life into the next one, when you take that step, it's going to be stunningly familiar to you. But it's also going to be shockingly unfamiliar. It's going to be a place that is so beautiful and so amazing that it's going to take your breath away. But the other thing I mentioned to her, and we're going to get to this a little bit more in just a moment, was that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, the Apostle Paul says this, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. As I was reading to her, I read again, as I mentioned, Revelation chapter 21. I read to her 21 and 22. But as I read to her Revelation 21, 1 through 5, she was laying there. Her breathing was becoming much slower. She was still able to communicate. But I read the following passages to her. Here's what John the Revelator writes. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. We're going to talk about that next week. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Next verse. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. At the end of the reading of that text, my friend asked me to repeat verse 4. You see, she was not enamored with the beauty of heaven, not what heaven would look like. She wanted to know what heaven would be like functionally. What's it going to be like? And I love what Revelation 21 verse 4 says. He will wipe away every tear. What that tells me is, is that in heaven, God will take personal attention. Jesus will give personal attention to every single person that's there. And then you read on and it says this. No more worry. No more pain. No more curse. No more disease. No more dysfunction. Why? Because Revelation 21 has told us, because the old order has passed away. And God is making all things new. What was stunning to me was her interest was not in the visual beauty of heaven. She wanted to know about the function of heaven. And reading that verse that so emphasized that God will wipe away every tear and there will be no more death, mourning, pain, dysfunction, brokenness, all of that will be passed away. Also in talking to her, her questions continued, what'll happen when I die? 
And of course, I brought her to the thief on the cross. By the way, the thief on the cross is the only deathbed conversion in all of the scriptures. But here there are two thieves being crucified with Jesus. If you've ever read the four gospels and the Easter story, you know this story well. Jesus is nailed to the cross. He is dying. And on either side of him, there are two thieves. There are two rebels. And the gospel of Luke chapter 23 verses 42 through 43 tells us that one of those thieves has been mocking Jesus but the other one turns to Jesus, and in Luke 23, 42 through 43, the gospel says, then he, meaning the thief, said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Kingdom. It's the idea of the thief on the cross understood that Jesus had come to usher in the kingdom of heaven. The thief says to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. In other words, Jesus looks at this guy and says, this very day as the thief dies and as Jesus dies, that thief is going to be with Jesus that very day in paradise. And I think this is important to understand. The thief does nothing. There are no good works. There are no good deeds. As a matter of fact, the balance of the deeds of the scale of his life would have tilted in the direction of God's harsh treatment or outside of God's best or outside of heaven. And yet he looks at Jesus and he makes one request. Jesus, remember me when you step into your kingdom. Works did not get him there. Works would have prevented him from getting there. It was simply putting his faith, hope, and trust in Jesus. And Jesus gives him this promise. He says to the thief, today you will be with me in paradise. But we need to understand what paradise is. You see, the complete biblical library of the Greek-English dictionary tells us this, that to define paradise, by the time of Christ, speculation arose concerning the state of the dead prior to the resurrection. Some then divided Sheol, the location of the shadowy post-death existence, into two compartments. In one were the souls of the wicked, in the other, named paradise, were the righteous. In other words, paradise that Jesus promises, and what the Bible speaks of is paradise, by the way, the word literally means a garden, but paradise in Jewish theology, which Jesus is adhering to, is a safe place to wait in the love of God for the resurrection of the dead. In other words, when we think about heaven and what happens when we die, Jesus affirms and confirms the biblical record teaches us that when we die, we actually go to a place known as paradise. And in that place, we are, yes, with Jesus. Yes, we are in the love of God. But we are waiting for the resurrection of the dead. That's what we're waiting for. Now, understand this. The clear uh, indication is, is that this paradise is a temporary place. 
that the eternal place, the place of heaven, the new heaven, the new earth that we read about in Revelation 21 that I'm going to be talking about next week is something that's actually futuristic. But yes, God has prepared a place for us and Jesus references that in John chapter 14 verses 1 through 3. When Jesus' disciples were concerned about his departure, when he kept telling them he was going to Jerusalem to die, Jesus said in John 14, verses 1 through 3, to his disciples, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have not told you and that I am going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. So the same way Jesus promises the thief on the cross, he promises to his disciples that there is a prepared place where they will be with him. But what's interesting is, is the word for house, father's house, is actually monai, which is a temporary wayside residence. It's like a hotel it's not a place you live permanently. So as with every sermon I preach, we come to the point where we talk about putting feet to your faith. What does it look like to take everything that we've talked about and put feet to our faith? The best way to do this is to read what the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and here it is, verse 1. Here's what Paul writes. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Paul is referencing this physical body. What he is saying is your body, my body, is temporary. It's transitory. It's a tent. But God, in the future, has prepared a permanent body for us. Reading on verse 2. I love what Paul writes because it's so true. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. Again, I'll talk about that more next week. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal... These bodies are mortal. We talked about immortality. And mortality, we discovered our own mortality during the COVID-19 crisis. That what is allowing us to ask these questions. And the Apostle Paul says this, that this body will eventually have a heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. And I love verse 8. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord at home with the Lord. As we close out this message, I want us to think about three things. When the Apostle Paul talks about our earthly tent 
in our longing for an eternal home, our longing for heaven, he says three quick things. Until we go there, we will groan. The second thing is, God has planted his spirit within us as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. In other words, when we say yes to Jesus and we follow Jesus, there is zero doubt that we will end up in eternity with Jesus. And last but not least, here's what Paul writes, away from the body and at home with the Lord. In other words, the moment you pass from this body, you instantly will be present with the Lord. What we're going to do now is move towards a brief time of prayer, and then we will take communion after a period of worship. So would you please pray with me? Jesus, I pray that we would be open to a perspective. That, Lord, we would be a repentant people in this sense that we are willing to open up our hearts and open up our lives. And some of us, maybe for the very first time, we would open up to who you are. And that we would be willing to have a spiritual paradigm shift. That in this COVID-19 crisis, we've asked ourselves the question, what happens when we die? And what does the Bible say about heaven? Well, Jesus clearly you are at the center of all of that. So help us to be a group of people, Jesus, that focus on you, that put our faith, our trust, and our belief in you. And so in the midst of this COVID-19 crisis, we can say what Paul said. We are confident and we know that the things that are written are trustworthy and true. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen.